Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. But I'm glad you're here this morning. Again, we're talking about the values, the values, the things that make us who we are. And as we got into it a little bit last week, you know, a church is a unique expression of who God is. When the Bible speaks of church, it speaks of two things primarily. There is a a church that is universal uh, in the sense that we are connected to everyone who knows Jesus, regardless of where where they reside on the earth. Uh, So there is a sense in which we are universally, um, spiritually, even mystically connected with people. Our orphanage in Uganda, those kids are a part of our family as much as if they were in this room. Uh, So there is a sense in which a church is is universal. And then there's a sense in which a church is local, a local church, a called out ecclesia. Uh, When you look in the Bible, all of those churches were local churches. The church at Jerusalem, there was the church at uh, Ephesus, there was the church at uh, Colossae, uh, the church at Thyatira. Uh, they were all local assemblies. And so uh, we are called upon as Christ followers to ident- identify with a local church. A church has been commissioned, anointed, and appointed to carry out the, the mission of God on the earth, which is to connect people who do not know him with the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And the overarching purpose of a church, just like it's the overarching purpose of any of us, is to bring God glory, is to be a reflection of everything he is in every day of our life. So with that said, as we talked last week, churches are unique expressions of who he is. Every church should be unique. We churches learn from one another, but we should not strive to be like one another. Uh, There's a uh, sense in which we have diversity And yet we have unity in the sense that we love Jesus, we preach his word, uh, but we're very diverse. There are some churches who have an emphasis in a different area. God has called them to a particular ministry and they do that well. And God has called our church to a specific ministry and I believe we do that well. Uh, We're always seeking to improve, but my point is you'll see diversity in churches and God has so ordained it to be that way. If everyone was supposed to be in one church, we'd all be there. (laughs) But the fact that churches are diverse, people go to different churches for different reasons, people go to different churches at different seasons, and so we understand the dynamic of church and how it enhances our spiritual life. With our church, we were trying to look at our DNA a little bit and be honest about our valuation. Uh, Some of these are aspirational that we could do better. Some of these are things that we we feel like we do fairly well concerning the feedback that we get from other people. And last week we talked about faith uh, being the foundation and the basis of everything we do. Uh, We try to do all of our teaching and our worship. All that we do, we try to base it upon God's word. Uh, uh, Martin Luther once said, feelings go and feelings are deceiving, but my warrant is the word of God and not else is worth believing. So everything should be tied to God's word. So we try to base our teaching, our belief system, uh, how we do ministry based upon God's word. And so that's a very important dynamic. We talked about that last week. This week, I wanna talk to you about another value of our church, and I think it ought to be a part of all of our lives. It's the value of authenticity. 
authenticity, being genuine, being real, being true to yourself and true to who God has designed you to do. Now, you probably would agree with me we're living in a world where there's a lot of inauthenticity. <laughs> we are uh, people who uh, wanna project an image sometimes that isn't true to who we really are. But authenticity is necessary to have a healthy relationship. And it's so scary in this day and age of selfies that we don't always know what we're getting. These uh, social media profiles. I've heard horror stories, and you have too, of people who are kind of out there and they're looking for that special person and they correspond with somebody they think, uh, 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 you know, looks like um, um, uh, uh, Carrie Underwood. And in reality, uh, they're more like Minnie Pearl. <laughs> she was a real person. You have to Google that one, kids. <laughs> But it's the, the, the reality is you don't know really what you're getting. Uh, uh, by the way, I, can I just go off the deep weeds for a minute? I wasn't really a part of the selfie generation. That's kind of a new phenomenon. I, I grew up, my generation didn't like a picture day at school, right? Anybody hated picture day at school? I mean, I hated picture day at school. It was a terrible time because you, first of all, you didn't ever get to look at the picture they're gonna put in the annual. And it's, it's gonna be in that annual till Jesus comes, let's face it. There's no do-overs, whatever Mr. Smiley and his team thought looked good uh, is, is what your picture was gonna look like. So if you were, your hair was a little jacked, uh, you had a little hitchhiker, whatever's going on, that thing's gonna be in that annual forever and a day. Uh, and, and so I, I understood, but, but now selfies are so important. And I think sometimes people put those selfies out there basically because basically they're not really secure in who they are. Uh, there's a sense in which we are inauthentic in our relationships because we have not come to terms with who we really are. So if you're in a relationship with someone, you, you really want authenticity. You, you want to kind of wade through uh, you, you know, who they're presenting themselves to be and find out who they actually are. I've been told by people who are out there and they're doing the dating thing that when you start dating someone, you're not actually dating them, you're dating their agent, right? You're, you're getting someone who's trying to sell you on them. And only after a period of time of getting to know them do you really find out who that person actually is. And that's why I would tell you, take your time, get to know someone, see them on their best day, see them on their worst day, because inauthenticity is something that is really, sadly, a hallmark of our society. We don't always know what we're getting in relationships, but authenticity is so significant. It is so important. It's not only important in relationships, it's important in business partnerships. You wanna be sure that you're doing business with someone who is genuine, who is authentic, someone that you can trust, someone that, that uh, uh, will tell you like it is, um, and they will absolutely be there uh, regardless if the business is good or bad, th they're in it for the long haul and they're gonna be in the fight with you. And so in authenticity in a business, partnership is important. Uh, and then it's important in a church fellowship. Uh, you need authenticity when you attend a church and when you identify with a church. You, you wanna be a part of a church uh, like I said last week, that doesn't strive for perfection because they'll never attain that, but they, they strive for faithfulness. Uh, they try to do the best they can do with the talents and the abilities and the resources that God has given them. You, you, you want a church that is authentic. 
And people relate to authenticity. We've seen it in our church. Uh, when I shared the journey of Cindy's health and the, the experience of her passing, uh, I, I tried to just be honest and open with where I was and where I still am. And I, I, I think there's something about that that helps us as a church when we can be open, not just with the things that we've experienced that are great, but with some of the things we've experienced that, that are hurtful and painful. I think that's part of being authentic. And I think when you're in a relationship with someone, you're in a business partnership with someone, you're in a church fellowship with someone, that authenticity needs to rank really high. That you need to be sure this congregation, these people are genuine, they are authentic, they are real and true to who they say they are. Here's something that I found that authenticity will bring about. Authenticity in a relationship, in a business partnership, in a church fellowship brings about confidence. Um, it brings about assurance. There, there's a powerful dynamic that comes as a result of authenticity, confidence, and assurance. There's a beautiful verse in Revelation when John was writing concerning Jesus in Revelation 15, verse three. He said, Lord God Almighty, just and just and authentic are your ways. John says, God, you are, you're just, you're fair. And God, you are true. You are authentic in everything you do. We serve an authentic God. And if we're children of an authentic God, then it is absolutely essential that you and I strive to be authentic. Let me give you a quote we have up on the screen for you. I think it's the heart of a lot of what I want to share this morning. The secret to authenticity is based on our core belief. The only way you and I will ever be authentic, it comes from our heart, our core beliefs. For example, what you believe, as we said last week, will determine how you behave, and that will determine who you become. So authenticity has to begin at our core. It has to begin at our heart. It has to begin with not only how we see ourselves, but how we see God. Because if we don't have a healthy God image and we don't have a healthy self image, it will affect everything about our life. Now, when I say a healthy self image, I'm not talking about some narcissistic weirdness. You remember, narcissist was the Greek mythological figure that fell in love with his reflection in a pond. You met people like that. Enough about me, now you talk about me. Yeah, uh, we all know people like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a healthy acceptance of who God made you and me to be. If you're outgoing, you embrace being outgoing. If you're introvert, you embrace being introverted. There's a great book out called Please Understand Me. It's basically giving yourself permission to be who God designed you to be. God makes only originals. He does not make duplicates. As I said, you can learn from other people, but you don't need to be them. You need to be who God has made you to be. You rob the world of your uniqueness when you try to copy someone else. And so we are called upon to be those unique expressions individually as well as collectively, those unique expressions of who God has designed us to be it comes from our core. You remember when the, the lawyer asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in all the world? And Jesus said in Matthew 28, here it is. He said, it's twofold, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. He said, the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now notice how we are to love our neighbor as ourself meaning you have to have a healthy view of you if you're going to have a healthy view of others. Here's the reality. You don't see people as they are. You see people as you are. If you're having a bad day, you're going through a bad experience, I'm telling you, it will cloud, it will filter everything about your day. 
If it's a great day, conversely, you'll see everything totally different. And it's important that we understand us that way because if we're going to be authentic, it means that we understand the tendencies that we have to jade how we see one another. In 1 Peter chapter two, I wanna give you five quick thoughts that really help us identify how God sees us. And when we understand how he sees us, it helps us see ourselves in a different light. He said in 1 Peter chapter two, verse nine, but you, you are right now in this moment, you are first of all, a chosen people. Secondly, you are a royal priesthood. Thirdly, you are a holy nation. Fourthly, you are God's special possession. And he goes on to say that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You can reflect who he is, that's bringing him glory. We talked about that last week. Verse 10, once you were not a people, a people, but now you are the people of God. Meaning at one time you didn't have identity. You didn't know where you fit. You just, we talked about life in the junk drawer, right? You, you, you just, you knew you were important and valuable. You just didn't know to whom and for what. <laughs> and you're trying to put everything together. And so he says, once you were that way, you were a people, but hey, now you are, you're the people. God has given you a sense of purpose. Once you have received mercy, and now, once you had not rather received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now listen to me, understanding your identity is key to having authenticity. If you don't understand these five principles that I wanna give you this morning, you'll never come to terms with authenticity. Understanding the truth about who God says you are. You, you see, your understanding of the truth uh, is essential uh, to the things you stand on, what you're building your life on. Understanding is the things I stand under. I, I, I'm standing under a truth, a principle, that gives me security, that gives me stability, that gives me direction. So my, my understanding, if I can just play with this a minute, my understanding is the truth that I'm standing under. And the truth that I need to stand under so that I have stability in my life and I can be authentic is the things that God says about me. Now I can say things about you, I can say things about me, we can say things about each other, but I wanna know what does God say about us? What does he say about his kids? Once we come into a relationship with him, he is our father, we're his child. What does he say about us? Well, number one, he says, I am preferred. I am preferred. You are a chosen people. Write this down. I am completely accepted. You're a chosen people. The Bible says we're chosen in him before the foundation of the world meaning that God knew who will ultimately receive him and who will ultimately reject him. And so when you read verses like um, Romans 8, 29, where it says we're, we're predetermined, we're predestined to become the children of God, it means that predestination is according to his foreknowledge. For whom the Lord did foreknow, them he did predestine. Now let me get in some deep weeds just real quick and I'll get out of them. The idea of predestination is based upon God's foreknowledge, meaning that, it is the heart desire of God for every single person on the earth to know Jesus as Savior. John 3:16. for God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. A second Peter 3, 9, God is not willing that any, he didn't say many, <laughs> he said any, that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. But not all will because God has given us an ability to choose. 
You have an ability to choose, you have an ability to refuse. And so God in his foreknowledge, meaning God knows what will happen before it happens, I don't have that ability. You don't either. We see life a frame at a time, a day at a time. God is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, he's providential. Providential means pro-video, to see ahead. He has the ability to see ahead. So he knows who will receive him, he knows who will reject him. So he then predetermines predestination. He predetermines certain things that will happen in the life of a person based upon his foreknowledge of what that person will do or will not do. Now back out of the deep weeds, back on the road. God knew who will receive him and who will reject him, and he's saying that he has chosen you. Uh, think about it this way. Over the doorway, it says, whosoever will, let him come. You step through the door and you look back and it says, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. So God knows who will receive him and who will reject him, and he's predetermined certain things happen based upon his foreknowledge of what we will or will not do. So with that said, what I want you to take away from this idea is God chose you. And, and, and even deeper than that, in his choosing of you, he has accepted you. Now here's why that's so important. If you, have, if you have never come to terms with the fact that your creator has accepted you, you will live an inauthentic life. You'll never be true to yourself if you can't be true to the fact your creator loved you, created you, designed you, gifted you and enabled you to be you and he accepts you, flaws and all. How do you come to Jesus? You don't get your act together and come to Jesus. You don't turn over a new leaf. You don't work out your relationships. You don't give a certain amount of money. The old hymn writer was right when he says, just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. If you come to Jesus, you bring your messed up self to him, you bring your sinful self to him, you bring your bitter self to him, you bring your confused self to him, you come to Jesus just like you are, just as you are. And once you come to Jesus, one of the things you realize, he's accepted you. He has accepted you. Man, when you read Ephesians chapter one, it's such a beautiful passage. Read verses three, four, five, and six. It summarizes in verse six by saying, God has accepted us in the blood. God has accepted us in Jesus. Now let me show you how this works toward being authentic. You have to realize, first and foremost, God has accepted you. As I said, you won't live an authentic life until you understand the God of the universe has accepted you. Here's the second thing, and this is where it gets hard. You have to accept his acceptance of you. Some people can you know, mentally assent to the fact that God has accepted them, but in reality, practically, they cannot accept his acceptance of them. They, they can't believe God has actually forgiven them. They cannot believe it's possible to begin again. They can't believe that they'll ever have joy in their life again. They, they, they cannot accept that he has accepted them. And man, one of the big, best things you can do to be authentic is come to terms with the fact right now in this room, right where you're sitting or wherever you're watching me, anywhere in the world, understand the God, the creator of the universe, when you turn your heart toward him, he loves you, he has accepted you and you can accept his acceptance of you. And then here's the third thing you have to do. Now you have to accept yourself. God has accepted me. I've accepted my acceptance of him. Now I have to accept myself. I, I, I have to be willing to let some things go. I have to be willing to understand that I'm a limited resource, that God has a purpose for my life, and, and I can accept myself for who I am. 
And then when you can do that, number four, you're free to accept other people. The reason some people shut down, close off, and they put a facade out there, and they're not true and genuine and authentic to who they actually are, is fundamentally they've never accepted the fact God has accepted them, they've never accepted his acceptance, they've never accepted themselves, so they're not free to accept you. So if you can get back to that basic reality that I'm a chosen people, God loves me, he's accepted me, and I can accept that and accept myself, then man, it, it is the first big step toward living an authentic life. Second thing, not only I'm preferred a chosen people, secondly, I'm priceless. I am a royal priesthood. Put this down, I'm extremely valuable. You are a royal priesthood. Do you realize you are valuable? First of all, what determines the value of a thing? What determines the value of a thing? Well, uh, the value of something might be determined by who owns it. For example, if I were to tell you I've got a pair of Johnny Cash's boots that I'll sell you, man, let the bidding begin. I guarantee you the bidding would go up. Conversely, if I said I've got a pair of Bill Ramsey boots, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I don't like my chances. I don't like where this thing's going. What's the point? The value is who owns it? Who owns it? What does the Bible say about us, a royal priesthood? He, it says we are bought, 1 Corinthians 7, 23, we're bought with a price. God paid a price for us. So what Jesus did, he owns us. We belong to him. We're his kids, therefore we're valuable. And you establish the price of a, uh, the value of a thing based on what a person's willing to pay for a thing, and he paid his life, right? If you have a real piece of real estate or you have a house, doesn't matter what you want for that house, it's what someone will pay for that house. We all know that. Well, what is the value of a person? Well, when you look at what Jesus did for you and me, he gave his life's blood for us. How invaluable is every single person on the planet? He loves us that much. Jesus established that value. So you're royal. And then he said, you're a priesthood. You're part of a priesthood. What does a priest do? A priest represents people in the presence of God, and the priest represents God in the presence of people. He said, you're part of that. You get to intercede, you get to come before me, and you get to share the concerns that you have for other people in my presence, and then you get to represent me to them by the life you live and the business you conduct and the way you love your family. All of those are reflections of who I am. And so he says, never forget that you are a chosen people and you are a royal priesthood. You're part of something bigger than yourself. Thirdly, he said, I am pure. I am a holy, get the description. I am a holy nation. Write this down. I am eternally loved. You think of the word holy. Man, that's a word that belongs to God. You have the holy Bible. You go to Israel, you have the holy land. We use that word holy, but it's a word that really belongs to God. And when he says concerning us, that you and I in a relationship with him, we become a, we become a, a holy people. In other words, it's possible for you and I now to live life above the grind. We can aspire to a better way of life. We, I'll give it to you this way. We now have, it, it, well, let me put it this way. If you don't have within you, that which is above you, you succumb to what is around you, 
and you fall into what is beneath you. So my point is we have a power within us greater than the pressure around us to live better lives. We actually can aspire to having a holy walk with God. In fact, he told us in Galatians 5 how to do it. He said, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But the crazy thing about that is he gives us permission and he knows that we still, even though we aspire, that, that's aspirational, we aspire to treat people right and do the right thing, we, all, we often fall short. Maybe not intentionally, but we often fall short. I've told you before that the best you and I will ever be, and this is not to excuse us, but the best we'll ever be are sinners saved by grace. That's the bar. Meaning that we'll work hard, we'll try to be better, we'll try to learn from our mistakes, but we're still gonna be three steps forward and two steps back. It's always gonna be a struggle, and we're always going to do good on one day and do bad on the next, you know, make a good decision, make a bad decision. We're all, so he provides for that because he said in 1 John 1, 9, if we'll just confess, a confession by definition is agreement. If we'll agree, if we confess our sin, he then is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He looks at us and says, look, I've declared you holy, but I know it's a struggle for you to be holy because you're living in a world where there's not a lot of holiness. Illustrate it this way. John 13, you have Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. We refer to that each week when we, or each time we receive communion. And you remember the dynamics about that scene where Jesus stoops and washes Simon Peter's feet? You remember that one? And when Simon Peter realized Jesus was walking, washing his feet, he goes, Jesus, don't, gosh, you can't wash my feet. Oh my goodness. And then Jesus says, Simon, if I don't wash your feet, you can't fellowship with me. Now let me explain that. Back in that day, the culture of the day was when you had a dinner party, you would invite guests to your home and there would be someone at the door to do two things for them. Number one, they would provide them a basin and a towel so they could wash their hands. Now we still do that. We still wash our hands when we go, we eat, we understand why. Um, but they would also have someone there with a basin and a towel to wash their feet. Now you think that's a little strange. Well, it's not, let me explain that. The reason that person was there to wash a person's feet is because the custom, that uh, Eastern custom is that you would eat off a table only about 18 inches off the floor. I mean, Da Vinci kind of had to rework his painting if he captured that, but that was kind of the idea. Uh, the, the, the table was about 18 inches and around the table there were these large overstuffed pillows, kind of like some of you ladies have stacked on the bed at home, uh, but I digress. The point is around the table, they had the, all these pillows. And what would happen is at dinner time, you would find your place around the table next to your dinner partner and you would enjoy your dinner and then you would recline on a pillow and have conversation around the table. So not only did your hands need to be clean for the purpose of handling your food, but your feet should be clean because they're gonna be in close proximity to your dinner partner's face. <laughs> so you had a lot of interest in you know, that, uh, that hygiene. So that was the custom. So when the uh, uh, apostles get into the upper room that night, no one is at the door and none of them notice. It's men, I get it, it's guys, we didn't notice. Nobody notices, nobody's there to wash their hands or feet. And so Jesus notices, and so he stoops and washes Simon Peter's feet. Now, yeah, there was some hygiene, there was some cleanliness that I'm sure he was teaching on that level, but there was a deeper reason than just washing Simon Peter's feet. And he says it. He says, Simon Peter, you can't fellowship with me with dirty feet. They wore sandals. 
And those cobblestone streets and those dirt streets, as you would walk along, dirt would accumulate on your feet. So the point is, you could have a clean body, but walking in the dirty world, you're gonna get dirty feet. What's the point? The point is, a Christian, you can have a clean, sanctified soul, but you can't walk through a dirty world and stay clean. Again, I'm not excusing bad stuff. I'm just saying, it is what it is. You and I are gonna sin, we're gonna fail, we're gonna make mistakes, and God has provided a basin and a towel, 1 John 1, 9, where we can cleanse ourselves, and we should do that every day. We should cleanse ourselves as often as we think because it separates fellowship from God. That's why he said, your sins have separated you from God in Isaiah so that I will not hear you. He didn't say I can't hear you, he said I won't hear you. He's saying clean your feet. <laughs> I'm not gonna fellowship with you with them nasty feet. So when your heart is dirty, you're separating yourself from God. So we are a holy, we are a holy people, but that's predicated on the fact that we keep ourselves clean, that we walk honestly, openly, here's our word, often, with a sense of authenticity before God. I'm pure. Here's the third thought. I'm prized. I'm prized. God's special possession. Write this down. I am totally, totally forgiven. You are, I am God's possession. Listen, 140 times in the New Testament, you find this expression concerning God's people. They are in Christ. We are in Christ. We are in Christ positionally. Uh, we, we are situated in him. Jesus said, all the Father has given to me are in my hand and no one can take them from my hand. We are, ladies and gentlemen, in the hand of our Father and we are his special possession. Highly prized, highly loved. That's why I tell you, God has a purpose for you. And if you can wrap your head around that and you can understand that God values you and he sees the significance of your life, there's something that you do that no one else on the earth can do. There's a life you touch that no other life can touch. There's value that you bring that no one else can bring. So be uniquely who you are, be true to who you are, be authentic to who you are, your prize. Here's the last thought, I am purposeful. He said, you are now the people of God. Write this down. I am fully capable, purposeful. Remember, he said, you were once a people. Now you are the people. He's saying once you, you were disconnected from your creator, you didn't know what your purpose was. You were trying to figure it out. And now that you've connected to your creator, you realize he has a definite design for your life. Let me kind of close on this note. How do, you, how do you figure that part out? How do you figure out what God wants you to do? There's a principle in John 7, 17. Let me give you this. Jesus said in John 7, 17, let me paraphrase it. He said, if anyone wills to know my will, they will know my will. <laughs> you follow that? Jesus was saying, if anyone wills to know my will, they will know my will. <laughs> so you say, okay, so God, I, have a, uh, I desire to know, what do you want me to do? How, what is the direction of my life? Who do you want me to spend my life with? What does that look like? And here's what I found. To, when, you, when you want to know the specific will of God, start by doing the general will of God. Let me explain that. Do what you know to do today, and God will show you what you do not yet know to do tomorrow. So you get busy doing the things you know to do. You say, well, I don't know what tomorrow holds. Well, you're not responsible for tomorrow, you're responsible for today. So just do what you, what, what are you supposed to do today? What's your responsibility? Do that. 
You say, well, I don't know where my life goes beyond that. Well, that's, that's okay. Maybe it's not time for you to know. You'll know when you need to know. But you'll never know the specific will of God if you don't do the general will of God. God always speaks to people who are active. He doesn't speak to inactive people. Remember when Philip uh, was caught away in Acts uh, 8 to meet the, the Ethiopian uh, treasurer who had just been to the most religious city in the world, Jerusalem, and he left as confused as a termite and a yo-yo. And he was reading Isaiah uh, 53. He doesn't know what he's reading. And God catches Philip away and puts him with this Ethiopian uh, treasurer and leads him to Jesus. What's the little backstory? Philip was in a revival. He was busy. And God took the busiest person he had and he used him to do an important task. God often takes the busiest people in the world to do the most significant things. I, I guarantee you in your life, in your job, in your work, in your home, the people that will get it done generally are the busiest people you know. They are so busy, but yet they seem to get things done. Can I tell you, that's a principle of God's word. Not that we just, you know, polish the brass on the Titanic, you know, there's, there's activity and then there's accomplishment. But the idea there is that we are busy doing the things we know to do. And when we do those things, God will reveal the things that we do not yet know that we are to do. Last one, Proverbs 4.18. He said, the path of the just is like the shining light of a brand new day. Meaning if you've ever walked down a beach, you've ever been in the mountains and you've seen the sun as it begins to come up and you're on a walking trail or you're walking down the beach, and initially you're walking, you just have the little glint of sunrise. You just kind of have just enough light to kind of illuminate where you are. But as you keep walking, the sun just keeps coming up. And before you know it, you're walking in the light of a new day. When you begin by doing the general things you know to do, you just have a little bit of light. I'm gonna do what I know to do today. This is important. I'm gonna get this done. Little by little, you'll begin to discover God's unique plan for your life, the specific will of God. So get busy doing the things that he's called you to do because when you are feeling fulfilled, you don't, you don't succumb to the temptation of being inauthentic. God desires that you and I be authentic. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, as Isaiah said, it never uh, returns empty. It always accomplishes purpose. And so Lord, I, I pray that through our worship today and through the teaching of your word today that you will have... Uh, given some truth in our minds and hearts that will help us be more effective, maybe better in our homes or in our businesses or in our communities. I pray something may have been said or experienced in the service today that will help us to be more, to be more authentic, to be true to who you've designed us and created us to be. And finally, Lord, I pray for those who may never have trusted you as Savior, that this, this really might be that, that moment, that epiphany in their life where they humble their heart where they are and they pray a simple prayer and say, Lord Jesus, with everything I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, be a reality in my life. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.